The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. COP28 continues apace in the UAE and Saif O'Neill is back with me, the Senior Climate Advisor uh, for Friends of the Earth uh, Ireland. Uh, Saif, on Friday we're talking about the fact that the phasing out of fossil fuels was kind of due to uh, uh, be on the agenda. I guess it kind of got pushed firmly up the agenda with these comments um, uh, from, uh, amongst others, the kind of uh, the Dubai Sultan Al-Jabbar who effectively said he didn't believe the science. There was no science to kind of back up uh, the need to phase, to move away from fossil fuels. Um, he's kind of rolled back on that. There's a, there's a, there's a, a serious rowing back going on. Yeah, he was caught off guard, Kieran, in, in, in a webinar, um, I think a few weeks back with Mary Robinson and some climate uh, justice feminist activists. And Mary Robinson put it to him, you know, that there was a need to phase out fossil fuels and that this needed to be reflected in both the uh, presidency's text and also in the work of ADNOC, the, the national oil company. And he got very, very cross about it. He, he really reacted to what she said and had a sort of mini meltdown on the webinar. And The Guardian picked up on this and, and it's gone kind of viral. And it's put, I suppose, the issue of his role and the role of the Emirates as a presidency and his relationship with the with the oil company and then fossil fuels firmly back on the agenda, which has kind of been a good thing because I saw him today at a press conference and he was sort of sandwiched between the head of the IPCC and another scientist. And he was really uncomfortable as if he'd been kind of caught um, doing something naughty and uh, he was trying to row back on that. But So the reality is that this issue has put the fossil fuel phase out issue very firmly on the agenda. And even though you think it was obvious that it should be, um, in fact, in all the cops I attended, and uh, NGOs fought for this kind of stuff to happen, but it never did get ventilated. It never got discussed and debated as openly. And at the COP26 uh, in Glasgow, mm. it was the first time fossil fuels ever got introduced into one of the COP decision texts. So basically, now it's on the agenda. There's going to be a big push from developing countries, from the NGO society, the civil society, uh, to push for strong language, either in the global stock take or in the final decision text. Yeah. Al Gore has weighed in saying, you know, it's obvious that we need this. And uh, Colombia has now joined the campaign for a, a, non, a fossil fuel non-proliferation mm. treaty. So it'll be very hard for the um, the Emirates, the, the presidency, to block that kind of progress. But it has to be they said... They won't be on their own, though. I assume be beyond own. fossil fuel companies, that there will, there will be other nation states who yeah. will be kind of added in with the Emirates, won't they? And Absolutely. be seeking to dilute language. There's, there's, a, there's a bad club of fossil fuel petrostates, which is like Russia, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and a couple of others, including the Emirates as well. Um, um, but it's important to point out, and I think in fairness, uh, uh, this doesn't get distinguished, is that there is kind of a difference between countries where the fossil fuels are in national ownership, the, the companies are in national ownership and the kind of private companies that up until now have been the focus of a lot of the scrutiny, the kind of Chevron, mm-hmm. Exxons of this world. And not to say that those companies don't have a lot of work to do to, to get get to grips with climate science and their responsibilities. But the reality is that where you have states 
exercising diplomatic influence over this important process that have a vested interest in the continuation and and continued expansion of fossil fuels. That's a clear conflict of interest. It just can't be allowed to derail what we need to do to to stay below 1.5 and the rest of the Paris Agreement. Um, Kevin McPartland is with me as well, is the CEO of of Fuels for Ireland. Um, uh, Kevin, your members would largely still be, it would be a fossil fuel industry largely still in Ireland, you know what I mean? That is the, the, the fuel that they are using and that is who you represent. So you've got a dog in this fight, but I was reading a line that you wrote um, in one of your kind of vision documents. Our current level of dependence on fossil fuels is entirely unsustainable, but turning off the tap and supply is simply not an option. So it kind of a Lord make me chase, but not yet. Position. Well, I think it's recognising the fact that we can't be chased quite yet, because in reality, COP couldn't operate right now without everybody getting there and all this sort of stuff. So we have to recognise the current reality in which we live. We're in a situation where we do have this grossly over-dependent situation on fossil fuels. And I fundamentally agree with pretty much everything Cypher said there, you know. Uh, but we are in a transitionary phase, and that transition has to be managed. To me, you know, we have a, you know, you mentioned we have a vision document. We, we, four years ago, we said the most important line in that entire document was fossil fuels cannot be the basis of Ireland's future energy plans or our business strategies. And they are not. Hmm. So if you look now at what we are, what we're looking at, we're looking at ultra fast EV charging on forecourts. We're looking at advanced synthetic and biofuels. We're looking at hydrogen for heavy goods vehicles, for public transport vehicles. That's where we're going. Now, and, and give, give me a sense of the pace in which we are going there. Isn't that the point? Because I think that's where sometimes the difficulty does, does come in, is the pace at which it can be delivered. And I think the language is really interesting. The language has been talked about. And, and, and first of all, I think Sultan Al-Jabbar, I mean, what he said was trying to avoid the word daft, but it was daft, OK? Uh, I mean, it, it, it flies in the face of everything that any reasonable sane person or educated person would say. So let's just put that on the record, first of all. But what we're looking at now is how we make that transition across from fossil fuels to renewable fuels. But we also have to recognise that we do have this massive dependency. Right now, in this first few cold days of the winter, 60% of homes in rural Ireland are using oil for their heating. Hmm. Are we going to switch it off tonight and leave people go cold tomorrow? No, that's absurd. But it's equally absurd to say that Fuels for Island members will continue to be in the business that they're in, in the way that they are in it. And by that, mm. I mean, depending on diesel, gasoline and kerosene sales for their future businesses in 10 so, years so, so if if we if we know where we need to go and we know where we are, uh, the question is, how do we get there? I mean, is it is it through government support? Is it through subsidies? You know, is it through just the fluctuations of the market? Sai wants to jump in there. You can think about the answer to that then, Kevin. Sai. You know, it, it's very welcome to hear uh, Kevin's response. But I would say that, unfortunately, the science in terms of the monitoring of greenhouse gas emissions uh, is is telling us that we're not in the transition phase. So we have the, the rhetoric, the policies, but there is more and more CO2 building up in the atmosphere, driving these uh changes to the to the climate that are extremely dangerous. To, um, the uh, reality is that greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuels increased last year. Um, so we have a major job of work to do to get onto this pathway. Now, the IEA have modelled this as the International Energy Agency, and they have worked out what we need to do to get to net zero by 2050. And they have said quite clearly that there is no scope for further fossil fuel expansion um, so that means all the remaining fossil fuels, oil, gas, coal, mm. needs to stay in the ground. So what's problematic 
for the likes of Adnoc is that they're actually this is the, Adnoc are this is the United Arab Emirates National Oil Company. Okay, is that despite all the things the Sultan is now saying that he accepts the science, is that they're actually planning to expand production by forty two percent to twenty thirty, and this is why they're in the in the heat at the moment under the spotlight mm. because of these kind of contradictory positions. So what it means in practice is that we need to be scaling down fossil fuel use as we're scaling up rapidly renewable energy use. So that's one of the reasons why the COP has, I think, you know, it's very welcome. Um, over 110 countries today have signed on to a declaration um, where they're committing to tripling renewable energy rollout by 2030. Okay. But in Ireland's case, we're not on track to even meet the legally binding targets that we have set for renewables in the electricity sector. So we have a lot of work to do just to get on that pathway to transition. Kevin? And I think that's really important because I I disagree that that we are on the transitionary period because if you look at what's happening in Ireland right now, so we doubled the amount of of biofuel that's put in petrol in the last 12 months. With that single measure we reduced emissions by more than all of the EVs that are currently on the road. We're looking to increase biodiesel yet further. We're looking at now situations where biofuel is being used in heating more often. We, I, I, the, the reason it, uh, uh, emissions have increased in the last 12 months is because consumption has increased. That's the problem. And we have to make sure that what we reduce consumption, yes, but we also have to make sure that what we consume is done more efficiently. And we're leaving some things behind. You asked what we can do. I think we, we have had a, a situation where, and it's not a party political point, it's not about this government, repeated governments have taken positions where they back particular technologies, okay? So we have a situation where our approach to decarbonising home heating is to put heat pumps in every home. Mm. We have about 300,000 non-condensing oil boilers in use in Ireland right now. Yeah. If we swapped those for condensing boilers tomorrow, we would reduce their consumption by 25% and their emissions by slightly more than 25%. Now, I know that that's an imperfect solution. And I know that some people, uh, that Sive may even say that that uh, generates a further dependence on fossil fuel. But if we're talking about transition, transition is about taking steps. And, we, and, and, and if we're genuine about tackling a climate emergency, if we simply yeah. that word, we have to take all potential uh, helpful measures. And, and rather this ideological purity, which is actually stopping us from being effective. Uh, l- let me introduce Je- Jennifer Whitmore into the conversation. She's a Social Democrat TD for Wicklow, party spokesperson as well for climate, environment and biodiversity. Uh, and she is responsible uh, for Eamon Ryan, the uh, Green Party leader, not having to fly home to vote uh, confidence in the Minister for Justice, uh, Helen McEntee. Uh, before we talk about what is happening at COP and where we are going in terms of uh, phasing out fossil fuels, Jennifer, why did you decide to pair with the minister to allow him remain in the UAE? I, I think it's it's really important that Ireland is represented at COP. Um, you know, the negotiations are ongoing and in order for Minister Ryan to come back to vote, it would have meant that he was absent from the COP negotiations for two full days. Um, and I think in light of the climate crisis we're in, in light of the discussions that are ongoing, in light of the recent um, narrative uh, from Sultan Al-Jabbar in relation to fossil fuels and, and the anti-science rhetoric that we're hearing from uh, from him and other lobbyists over there, I think it was really important that Ireland uh, is represented at COP uh, for the entirety of the discussions okay. uh, rather than the Minister coming home for, for the vote. Where would you describe Ireland's position on the uh, journey to phase out fossil fuels. Are, are we are we on that journey, as Kevin McPartland suggests, or have we yet to take the first steps? Well, I mean, I suppose in relation to Ireland, um, 
and the actions that we're taking to, to, to get to the 51% reduction um, of emissions by 2030, we, we are not uh, doing enough. So the Climate Action Plan is the document, is the policy document that the government produces that sets out each of the policies uh, that will, you know, should be leading to uh, this reduction. And actually the EPA every year do an analysis of the Climate Action Plan and each year they say that even the policies in that document, if they were implemented 100%, uh, those policies would not be sufficient to meet the legal uh, reduction requirement uh, of 51%. In fact, we only, would only be looking at a 29% reduction. And I have repeatedly raised this in the Dáil. In fact, I, I even raised it with the Minister, Minister Ryan, last week um, in, in the committee that I have real concerns, and it is borne out by EPA analysis, it's borne out by the Climate Change Advisory Council's advice, that we will not meet our targets because the government is not being ambitious enough uh, mm. with their measures. And, and, and that is a real risk for us, I think. Saive, to what extent are we hampered by logistical and capacity issues? That, that, even, that, that if everybody with the best will in the world decided to kind of to, to do what could be done, we, we, there's just not enough, there's not enough electric cars lying around in, you know, four courts to be bought. There, there, there's not the personnel out there to kind of swap out uh, boilers. There's not the, uh, there's not the materials to manufacture solar panels for every, you know, ceiling, I nearly said, for every roof in the country. You know what I mean? That the, 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 the same problems that we see in other sectors of the society in terms of recruitment, attention and labour, you've got the same problems when it comes to meeting these targets, don't you? Yes, I think um, you're right, of course. Um, these things, these big technology changes, capital investments do take time to roll out. Um, that's the normal way of things. And if we didn't have these very uncompromising, inflexible scientific deadlines, because that's really what it is. We're up against the physics of global warming here and physics does not negotiate. Um, We could, it will all happen, you know, over time, incrementally. I have no doubt about that. But we don't have that time. So we have to accelerate our plans. We have to invest wherever it's necessary to fill those gaps. And when it comes to things like boilers and kind of, you know, incentivising people to make those changes, we're going to have to do a lot more to help households financially with these changes because the the cost burden is prohibitive. Um, And that's at the the level of the household. And and you're right about capacity at government level. If we don't have enough resources in Mbordala to process applications in a timely fashion, that holds up the renewable energy sector. If we don't have a mechanism in place to uh, grant offshore uh, licensing to, to, to wind farms, that's a delay that's going to hold up you know, five gigawatts of much needed electricity. If we don't get our grid in order in time, we can't even connect renewable electricity. So there's so many pieces to this puzzle. And in order to really accelerate uh, ambition, we need to be almost like on a war footing, that it becomes like a COVID emergency where you pull together all the most important people and you say, this is the central mission of this government Mm. and the next one and make it the priority. I just follow up on that, that as, as you say, that approach that happened in COVID, that emergency attitude, meant that you took decisions, and even if they were imperfect, if they made a positive contribution, you went with them. And that's what we need to do now. We have this, as I say, we have this issue with ideological purity, sort of kiboshing us, tying us into things, and we're blinded then to other opportunities. And, you know, we really think that we need to be looking at all of the available opportunities to reduce emissions, to get us to net zero, to, to, to genuinely... Uh, do this in the most urgent way possible. 
Simon Ian is a senior climate advisor for Friends of the Earth Ireland. Uh, thank you, Simon. We'll talk to you again because COP uh, ongoing in the UAE. Kevin McPartland, thank you as well. The CEO of Fuels for Ireland and Jennifer Whitmore, Social Democrat TD for uh, Wicklow. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.